Hey everyone, welcome to episode 159 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Uh, we are your hosts, I'm Chris Gasser-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee! Hi Chris! And we have a special guest today, hailing from, where do you, I don't think I actually know where you live, but uh, to explain legacy to us, because Lee and I do not play legacy all the time, we have uh, someone who plays legacy all the time uh anurag das how's it going man hey from the tropical lands of san diego california what's up guys a word my my mom is from san diego actually cool cool i just honestly didn't know where you were from i'm sorry yeah no i don't blame you i I moved here like two years ago so it's it's not even i used to live in uh washington dc so been around the place I, i don't fault you at all cool cool now you're living in the past what's up Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I definitely am. It's about to be 5 o'clock. The workday is just ending, and I guess for you guys, the, the sun is starting to set, so... Oh, it's gone. It's it's pretty much gone. So we, we wanted to get you on because you have been just consistently playing more Legacy than pretty much anybody else I know of. Are you still doing, like, streaming every single day? I know you have a, a counter that keeps going on your streams, so I, I, I just... I don't know exactly where you're at with that. 203. That was today. And I don't know. It's, 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 I don't know where I'm going with this, honestly, but it's fun. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying streaming so much. It's almost, it's gotten to the point where it's like, if I don't stream, my, my fingers start like twitching and like I start sweating and I'm just like, I gotta stream. I gotta stream. So it's pretty, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Legacy is great for me personally. Um, and a lot of people that uh, tune in, they also enjoy too. So good, good times. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I have been trying to watch legacy streams lately. It is more helpful for me to watch good legacy players for, co- you know, for preparing for coverage purposes. And definitely I appreciate it when I see that you are on. So, which is all the time, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, we, we had to pull, we had to pull him away for, uh, for this recording. So I'm sorry to, uh, to your viewers for that no but co- content creation is great i mean they'll probably enjoy this as well and then plus like you know this is a great opportunity to share legacy with uh, the rest of your community so i'm excited for the rest of this episode when i mentioned it in our discord we had a, a number of people who were like oh word They're like like pretty excited that you are on so that makes me i mean i was already pumped but you know <laughs> nice to to please the people i guess let's see before we get Two into stuff, I want to shout out our patrons. We really appreciate the support from them. If you would like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can sign up, get in the Discord, get some swag, that sort of thing. Uh, We are going to be talking about mostly legacy today, but want to take just a minute and acknowledge the most obvious ban of all time, that Field of the Dead is now banned in Historic. Uh, Lee, I don't know how much attention you've been p- paying to Historic since then, but... Well, I hear about it all the time. I have not paid any attention since Field has been banned, just up until... I Because it was a big topic, everyone was complaining about it. Fe- oh, look, Field again. Here's Field. Hour of Promise is printed. Cool. Field of the Dead. Yeah, we've, we've was... been here before. Field was pretty clearly the best deck. Hour of Promise with 11 or 12 Explorers in your deck, and Field of the Dead turns out to be pretty good doesn't exist anymore the most powerful stuff is probably some iteration of a sacrifice deck bolus's citadel seems less important because you don't need to go over the top of a bunch of zombies necessarily you can actually play a grindy game 
So there are kind of two versions of the more low-to-the-ground sacrifice decks. You can either play a Cat Oven version, or in those slots you can be playing the sort of like Dreadhorde Arcanist package and like do more Young Pyromancer stuff and have more spells. And I really like that Rakdos deck. It seems very powerful and seems like it has a spot where it didn't before because you can you can't outgrind Field of the Dead with flashing yeah. back Thoughtseize. So right, you couldn't establish yourself early enough. And yeah. the second time you thought season of Strider Arcanist, that handles all lands, so... Right. Yeah, take an Uro, like, congratulations. Other things that are good, Goblins definitely still feels really, really powerful. Uh, a lot of people trying Burn, but, like, it's fine, but your cards are less powerful than a lot of the other things that are happening. Control decks are okay, you have a lot of Mind Stones, so that's the angle that I've seen a lot of people doing. You have Mind Stone and Guardian Idol, so... You know, you can Wrath, you can get ahead on mana, like, it makes Teferi better to get it out earlier. Like, the deck is, I I think there is some control deck that's pretty good, but it needs the meta to settle down. We'll see where Historic goes. In Standard, I have been playing, I I basically cut the black cards from Sultai, and have been playing a very instant speed version of the ramp deck. I don't think it is good to play Flash because you just sort of lose a number of games to Shark Typhoon and Hydroid Crisis. So I'm just playing a deck with a bunch of instants that also has Nissa, Shark Typhoon, Hydroid Crisis. I'll post an updated list on my Twitter, but I like pretty easily got to top 100 Mythic with it and just like didn't lose to Sultai ever. So I would encourage people to give it a shot. Uh, Brazen Borrower is, I think, secretly the best card in standard. So it does not surprise me. <laughs> Anyways, we are sorry to make our legacy audience listen to all of that. We have bigger and better things to cover. Do we want, Anurag, do we just want you to to sort of lead us through the, you know, ins and outs of the legacy format as it exists today, I guess? Are, are you willing to do that for us? Be our guide? Wow, that is that is a, actually not tough a task because all I do is play legacy. It's almost like I was ready for this exact moment. Let's get into it. <laughs> I'm down. I'm in. Perfect. I'm so down. Awesome. So let me let me just preface this. So if you if you haven't played any legacy before, first of all, the legacy format is extremely wide. There are there are a lot of decks that you can pick up and play, and each deck has just an infinite amount of depth into it. I've seen people play decks for multiple multiple years, and like some people have mastered these decks. For other decks, they're still just getting into it and like you know learning about all the nuances and like other things that pop up as new cards get printed. I like to categorize legacy into maybe like a couple pools. So if we think about uh, one subset of the decks, it's the tempo decks, which is like, you know, Delver of Secrets and all the different variations. Another uh, bucket of decks that we could look into are like the control decks. So we've got Snoko and we've got Miracles. And then moving on, we've got Tribal. So this will include your creature-based decks like Eldrazi, Goblins, Elves, Death and Taxes, a lot of options here. And that one's kind of a... Your, your elf deck plays out a little differently from your Death and Taxes deck or your Goblins deck. So that, that bucket is pretty pretty wide, too. Exactly, yeah. There's a lot of depth into it. And then the last two buckets, I think, are Combo and, and like Ancient Tomb decks or maybe like Chalice of the Void decks. So we can go through each of these categories one by one and then just take a look at uh, what, what decks are doing pretty well in the format right now. Uh, 
Personally, I'm preparing for the Mana Traders event that is this weekend, and then the next day there's also uh, like one of the showcase challenges to queue for the mocks. So I am definitely have done my due diligence, and I'm still doing my my research and homework to see how I can best optimize my personal deck for the weekend's events. And yeah, I guess we should have mentioned that one of the reasons we are doing a legacy episode at all is because we are covering the Mana Traders event this weekend. And uh, hopefully, depending on how you do in that showcase event, hopefully you will be joining us to cover the top eight of the Mana Traders event, at least. I guess, like, slight hope, well, you know, hopefully you top eight the Mana Traders yeah. event, but That'd barring be ideal. that. Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it's I, I, I've i recently pivoted towards, like, caring so much about playing Magic to caring so much about creating content about Magic. Something about commentary is just, it's alluring, it's dreamy, it's incredible, and, I mean... I don't know. It's just another way to you know provide for the people. So that that's super awesome. It is really fun. Yeah, it it is. I I can't really express how much I enjoyed doing it. It is super fun. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's surprisingly draining too. Yeah. True. Yeah. I, I think there's like a a lot of it uses like other parts of my brain that I'm not necessarily like I haven't flexed in a while. So there's a lot of like a, a huge social element to it. But then there's also endurance, right? Because like you just have to constantly have you know something to say to keep the audience engaged and it's very easy to run out so major props to you know all the the best commentators out there you guys like cedric p sully like just like you know cfb crew and all that like just doing a long show for nine hours is not an easy task i can tell you that much yeah i'm pretty far from putting us up in the category with those guys yet but we are you know we're learning we're we're practicing so one day True, true. So if we look at the first category, which I think is, is tempo, right? We'll, we'll start there. Mm-hmm. This is the deck that is most likely nominated for like best deck in the format currently. And I put, I put the word best in like air quotes because right now I don't, I, I don't think this deck is like much better than like the next, the next category of decks that we'll get into, but it is certainly the most powerful or not, not most powerful, most, most played rather. I'm sorry. Most played. Like, like Delver is probably like eight months out of any given year for the past eight years has been like the best deck in Legacy. You know, most of the time it's the best deck or at least the most played. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, so the stock archetype re- revolves around the card Delver of Secrets and, and Days. Those are probably like the two cards that shout out to me the most. And the idea is you, you know, you quote tempo your opponent out by putting a quick clock into play. And then you have like a lot of cheap disruptive elements to deny their game plan while also... Uh, pushing forward your own game plan, right? So the current shell that supports these two cards involves Dreadhorde Arcanist and Oko Thief of Crown, both 2019 cards, both incredibly powerful. Not only do they allow the uh, Delver deck to put like, you know, relevant threats into play, but also to just either pull ahead, shut the opponent down, do all the good things. They're just like versatile cards, which is absolutely terrifying if you're playing against them. This means that we are in the teamer color uh, color combination. So you got your volcanic islands and your tropical islands. I'm trying to think. It's it's kind of interesting to me because Delver of Secrets has like aged a little poorly. Uh, question mark. It used to be like ridiculous. It used to be the scariest card in the deck. But with mm-hmm. the you know as as these new cards have been printed out, like Dreadhorde Arcanist, honestly is to me a little bit more frightening. Potentially even bannable. Um, and I, I maybe this is just my own sentiment but there's a precedent for you know cards that generate you know just 
card advantage in these sort of tempo decks being banned. So you got like Red and Six that got banned, Treasure Cruise and like Blue Red Delver back in the day and like Dig Through Time out of Grixis Delver, those also got banned. And Dreadhorde Arcanist is kind of doing the same thing. I mean, it's not as powerful as those cards, but it, it, it does give me like a, like the, my spine sort of gets like a chill goes down my spine when uh, I think about it. Right. Well, it's definitely got that like, like so many games are decided on turn two when Dreadhorde Arcanist is involved. It's like, Dreadhorde Arcanist gets played, you force it, they daze back, and you don't have the bolt in hand, and you're just like, well, I guess I lose. Like, yeah, that's it. And, exactly. And yeah. it's super, it's super snowball-y. Like, the, you, you get off your one ponder, and you just never run out of fuel for the rest of the game. Right. Uh, I think that's actually a really important point that you're mentioning, which is, in, in, in Delver decks, right, or just like in most of Legacy, mana will always be your, your critical resource, and it's really interesting to see like how Dreadhorde, unlike cards like Snapcaster Mage, uh, I guess Dark Confidant doesn't really use mana, but life and it's it's a lot more tricky. Dreadhorde, well, you don't it, have to... it uses mana in that the cards that you draw still cost you mana. Yes, with, with Dark Confidant, and they just kind of don't with with Arcanist. Right. Yeah, and and you might think that like these just buying back one mana spells, okay, that doesn't really matter too much. But Legacy is literally the home of the best one mana spells in the game, like Brainstorm, Ponder, Bolt. You know, you, you name it, it's there. Yeah, for sure. And that that mana, the, the mana scarcity, you know, this is a format without, you know, the fast mana is really expensive and specific. You know, it is Mox Diamond. This isn't vintage. And this is a Wasteland format. So the mana is tighter in Legacy by far than any other format in Magic, which speaks, I think, a lot to the power of Oko, even in this, like, pretty aggressive super disruptive deck that has wastelands in it and is vulnerable to wasteland this three mana threat is just a three of and one of the best cards in the deck Mm -hmm. yeah oko is like if you've played magic in the last like half year or year even like you know that this card is just ridiculous right just it just does everything and a card like this a three mana card is a bit expensive for for these sort of tempo decks but the fact that it's just so good, merits its inclusion in the list. So let's see. The, the first thing that it does, obviously, it makes a clock um, and continues making, uh, it just it heavily adds to the board presence, right? Like every other turn, you get a 3-3. It also has a lot of utility in that it is able to answer a lot of the problematic threats for Delver of Secrets. So historically, creatures that don't die to Lightning Bolt, for example, yeah. uh, like Gurmag Angler, Reality Smasher, those are very tricky cards. Oko doesn't care, Tarmogoyf even. Or Chalice of the Void is another one. That, you know, like that card is very good at shutting down almost the entirety of the Delver deck. And so just having one concentrated threat that is almost like a Swiss army knife, you know, just like making threats, answering threats, you know, ending the game, also just has a ridiculous amount of loyalty. I mean, I, I could go on for days talking about why Oko is so good in this deck, but it, it pretty much says it for itself, uh, on the card like why it's so busted we played through three months consecutively where oko was banned in a format in each of those months so i think everyone knows Oko's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly in your like educated legacy opinion do you feel like like oko is an appropriate like legacy is an appropriate power level format for oko to be you know it's okay as one of the better cards in the format but it's not oppressive or like what's what's the general feeling about oko in the format so me personally, I don't think Oko is too bad. I think because of the because Pyroblast exists in the format, you have mm-hmm. a instant speed one mana vindicate that is exceptional at answering the card. Obviously, not every deck can play Pyroblast. 
Okay. Uh, Abrupt Decay also exists, and that's also a pretty good answer as well. And obviously not every deck can play Abrupt Decay, but I, I think that these two cards are able to just contain Oko well enough. And then mm. other decks have sort of adapted to to handle it. So, for example, like you've got Pithy Needle and like Spyglass out of some of the Ancient Tomb decks, and then uh, some like combo decks, for example, don't care about a three mana threat that doesn't actually impact uh, the stack or you know disrupt the hand or anything like that, right? That's just like Oko only goes for the board. So, for these reasons, I think it's it's fine. Uh, I will say though that like Oko is still pretty terrifying, just in the sense that if it is left unchecked for a couple turns, it's almost it's very hard to come back from it outside of. You know, maybe like a miracle here or there. Yeah, and those red cards, you know, I, I, I really like your point about that, you know, Oko shores up the Lightning Bolt deck's weaknesses, and also Pyroblast is so good against Oko. Like, and these are the reasons why I think we've seen Teamer be by far the most represented Delver deck, and, and kind of the only real option if you're playing Delver. You want the green cards, so you have the bodies and you have oko you want the red cards because bolt is really good with and against these cards and because pyroblast is so important so you're kind of locked into that color combination mostly yeah i i 100 agree with you you also get access to a couple other utility creatures i not utility creatures but you know like delver and dreadhorde alone won't win games in green you've also got access to tarmogoyf which is just like a legend in and of itself and then Hooting Mandrills, which is kind of interesting, it isn't as big as Tarmogoyf, but it does cost one mana, and in a format like Legacy, where the edges can be so small and mana efficiency matters so much, that delta on Hooting Mandrills does make it playable, and it does make it, you know, a staple in in, in the current iteration of Rug Delver, Team or Delver. I, I gotta say, the last time I was seriously testing Legacy uh, and played a GP, uh, I, I really had a hard time with goifs in my deck there were just so many spots where like it costing two mana just made me not able to do the stuff that i needed to do on my turns so i you know you still run the goifs but i i totally get it the gap between a one and a two mana threat is so huge yeah i mean that that could be the difference between holding up an extra counter and not you know like flusterstorm or pierce or something like that and mm-hmm. it could cost you a match sometimes so yeah i i do like that you mentioned um potential other color combinations i I did recently test a little bit of blue-red Delver with Rich Cali, and it was actually not as bad as I thought. So, like, sure, you don't get access to the green creatures and Oko, Oko being the more important of the two, I think. But you sure. do you do get access to a pristine mana, and I think that does go a long way in in the legacy format. So, one of the downsides to Rug Delver, right, is that its its mana base is somewhat vulnerable to you know just multiple copies of wasteland and then also you know like back to basics blood moon those sort of cards the just like you don't get to play magic mana denial cards uh blue red delver on the other hand has multiple copies of basic island and even the basic mountain to keep open mana through the face of wasteland which does matter it means that you are guaranteed to get to play games of magic and sometimes that's all certain players or decks need to you know uh cinch up the win so mm-hmm. Blue Red Delver might be the other variation I would potentially look at if you're interested in playing a Delver archetype this weekend. You do get cards like Sprite Dragon and Young Pyromancer. The version that Rich Callie suggested was more burn-oriented, so it did have a couple Chain Lightnings alongside Lightning Bolt. You know, fashioning mm-hmm. it back with uh, Dreadheart Arcanist is still pretty powerful, I think. And um, just 
a smattering of force of wills and force of negations, dazes, the whole the whole shebang, you know, the whole tempo element of the deck. How much would you say that the blue red's like main strength to rug is the mana denial safety valve, right? So against how much of the field would you say that actually matters against? Because it's very good in the Delver Mirror, like specifically. But, but in the, the Delver Mirror, the they have Goifs and you don't, which is right, pro- right. kind of a problem too. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's definitely like a tough one to evaluate. I, I think a lot of these matchups, like for example, even in the Mirror, right, it does boil down to racing. So a lot of your creatures do have evasion, like Sprite Dragon mm-hmm. and, and Delver of Secrets. Um, I, I would argue that Goif is definitely scary, but the blue-red Delver deck has somewhat adapted to it. So let's say like you draw one of your six lightning bolts and you have a Dreadhorde Arcanist in play, you're likely able to get rid of one of the Goifs. True. Although it is a little bit stressful because you need to have exactly two cards together and that that just doesn't that does introduce some sort of like uh weakness in the in the chain or whatever it is. Um I would and, also And they're really not interested in letting you untap with that Arcanist, like regardless of board position. So exactly. Dreadhorde Arcanist is just one of those cards that is so disgustingly powerful if you get to untap with it in uh in the Delver Mirror, especially, because I mean, again, like if if it's a function of mana, think about it, right? Like on turn two, you untap, maybe you play a land, maybe you don't, but still you're you're basically gaining like thirty three percent extra mana in one turn at the cost of what turning your creature sideways like that's that's yeah i'll snap that up in a heartbeat yeah plus an extra card you just get to cast this card for free yeah exactly and uh, yeah that 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 is one of the reasons why i think dreadhorde arcanist is just like so powerful in this format right now one interesting card choice that i've seen pop up in a lot of delver sideboards that blue red delver gets to leverage is the card submerge uh it used to see a lot of play back in the day when when rug delver was also very heavily played also like you know other decks like maverick and things like that but submerge is a zero mana answer to these big creatures like tarmogoy if you can put the creature back on top of your opponent's deck they have to waste a turn drawing it or if you're going to get a little bit creative or sneaky maybe in response to a fetch land you can throw the goif back in and it gets shuffled away uh as they search for their land so it, it it's it's not like blue red delver is completely out of the park i think the the main idea here is that like you get to play magic and that in and of itself does matter a lot of the time because in a format like legacy there are games where you just don't get to play magic sometimes like a turn one chalice may lock out your whole hand or a turn one gristlebrand could come out of nowhere right so or even if you get like wastelanded a couple times and you just don't draw any more lands like that that sort of stuff does happen in this format and so it is nice to have basics to rely on to to just guarantee that you get to do stuff sure yeah, that makes sense. And Sprite Dragon is sweet. That card has been just popping up in every format. Yeah, what is it, like Size of a Pixie, Rage of a Hellkite or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Card, card is actually good enough to see Vintage play. And I mean, obviously, it's a little bit better in, in that perspective. But that does give you some some perspective as to like how it could be applied in the Legacy format. Actually, one card that is notably not in any of these decks anymore is is True Name Nemesis. And, and that sort of makes sense because Plague Engineer has sort of remove that card from the format almost and you know like mm-hmm. with the rug delver decks playing oko for example you can't have too many three drops otherwise you you don't get to hold up a lot of permission and 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 play multiple <laughs> spells in a turn so right and oko oko just patches up so many holes and true name assist doesn't yeah exactly i think back in like 2014 or 13 when true name first came out like yeah it was definitely something to be afraid of nowadays not so much yeah nowadays it feels like a across your fingers sort of card like I'm going to invest a lot of mana into this. 
I hope the game goes long enough that, like, I get in four hits with it or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see. Yeah. Like Nowadays, you have to pray your opponent doesn't cast Uro, or you're just delegated to blocking it. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, like, all these Simic threats just make Trinim look so bad. I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where even, even the Merfolk tribal deck, which used to be built around, you know, Trinim Nemesis and using Phantasmal images to make more true name nemesis like doesn't even play the card it's like shifted strategies entirely almost to well it has shifted towards like playing thassa's oracle and like combo stuff like baron and weird weird things right it's it's merfolk no longer because true name just not the pillar that it used to be in the format sure well i mean it, yeah it's 2020 like you got to keep up you got to play all the new cards yeah <laughs> for sure especially especially the new three mana cards like that slot is uh, is pretty unreal. So I uh, sorted my cards by converted mana cost on Magic Online the other day, and I was like 11, 13. Wow, this is this is a bit much for me. I mean, granted, some of those were force of negations, but still, like it's it's kind of funny to see how like back at like you know five years ago, the curve would definitely be centered around like zero, one, and two, and now the threes are just so good that they've inserted themselves into the format. So yeah, which is a kind of like. Some of the threes may be a little too good, but, like, that's not a terrible place for a format to go to, like, center some of the power around more expensive cards. Like, right, yeah. Pretty, pretty dynamic games and different draws. Slow it down. You know, you actually get to play more magic because the spells cost more, so they take more turns to... Yeah, it's all yeah. a function of mana, and I, I definitely understand that for sure. Should we move on to the decks that are playing some more of these heavy spells? Some of these uh, control decks, Uro decks, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So... If you like Azoria, if, if you're like me, you like the good old, you know, draw a card, pass the turn strategy, Drago. Uh, I got two decks for you. The first one, <laughs> not exactly Drago. It's more of like a, what I would call Legacy's version of, of Jund, where you just get to play all the best cards that also just happen to, you know, involve blue. Um, so this is the, the Snoko deck, which almost is like Snow... Yoroko or whatever at this point and it's all sponsored by the one mana artifact that a lot of people are riled up about some people are okay with it but Arkham's Astrolabe a one mana prophetic prism who would have thought that this would have caused so much controversy Lee actually did me nice early on yeah yeah very yeah, when, sick when Horizons came out I was just thinking wow this is a really cheap artifact that fixes all your mana and you can use it to do artifact stuff yeah I was not nearly as much focused on that. Oh, your mana's just perfect. Yeah, I I've played with this card enough to know just how egregious it is. Like if you if you've cast an abrupt decay off two islands, then you'll you'll also be able to realize like <laughs> this is a problem, right? Like uh, magic. Have you have you seen the screenshot of Edgar versus Zan? I think where Zan plays Carpet of Flowers and Edgar has two um, snow covered basics and a Badlands in play, and none of them are islands. Oh my god! Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. It's just like it's like show some respect for the game. You know what I mean? The color pie used to mean something, and now here we are, just try to try to get away with with murder. Uh, no, but like this card is pretty incredible. Like I, I would never have thought. Okay, well, so rewinding a little bit, I'm gonna just connect to what we were saying earlier. This is the impact of uh, one mana in Legacy, right? Prophetic Prism unplayable. Arkham's Astrolabe potentially bannable, and they almost do the same thing if not for like Snow being a legendary super type or whatever it is so yeah arkham's astrolabe you put it in your deck now you don't have to worry about color costs and things like that and then you just get to pick and choose the best cards from each color in the format put it together boom you've got a deck so this deck is 
kind of like a mid-range control deck. You have uh, a lot of really efficient answers. Swords to Plowshares is the best removal spell in, in Magic the Gathering. I think what unconditional, unconditionally, you just kill a creature, whether it be a 20-20 or a 3-2 or a 4-4 or a 7-8 or, you know what I'm saying? And then you've got Abrupt Decay to handle cards like Chalice of the Void or, you know, Delver's Secrets. An uncounterable answer to Dreadhorde Arcanist, by the way, big deal. And then you even have the Snow Sweeper of Choice, which is Dead of Winter, uh, which is pretty good for any of the decks that go wide, like the tribal decks that we'll get to later on. I, I've mentioned this before on, on the podcast, I think, but there is no worse feeling than when you've put a good threat into play <clears throat> and you pass the turn with Counterspell backup. Like, play an Arcanist, it resolves, I have Force of Will in hand, and I pass the turn, and then my opponent just abrupt decays it, and it's like, but I had the... I, I had everything. I did it. Like, I did the thing. Yeah, exactly. I was reading the script, and this is what it told me to do, and, like, suddenly, no. The rules changed. Um, right. Yeah. But it, we, we leveled up on that a little bit at times with Veil of Summer countering Abrupt Decay. So that always... It, it felt like I, I was getting my points back at some at sometimes with that. Yeah, if there's one thing that Veil makes me happy about is that you can stop enemy Abrupt Decays. As someone who's played Counterbalance for, like, multiple years, that's the card that I... <laughs> hate the most for sure but veil of summer also is kind of like it's it's also just a crazy card so so many things to yes. talk about but yeah like decay is very good for that reason it's just very flexible it also does answer some of the cards that we looked about earlier right like tarmogoyf and oko and you know whatever mm -hmm. it is uh, there's very like few it. decks where decay doesn't have applicability those are generally the combo decks that you know require completely different strategies and to, to to answer sure any removal spell that you pick would not be particularly effective there so yeah exactly yeah. um in terms of threats it's pretty much simic summer here we've got uro and oko it's kind of interesting like when oko was printed how it kind of made its way into the deck and for me uro was a little bit of a different story right like i saw it and i was like okay i'll, I'll try it because haha memes and then i was like wait a minute I only want to draw this card and nothing else. Okay, let me <laughs> figure out what happens now. And then, then it's, and I know, I've seen you play a ton of that sort of like hybrid, like Uro deck with mana denial stuff in it. I, I, I know this is your, your friend's deck. I don't know exactly like the history behind this this list or anything, but it is a very um, Uro sort of deck. Yeah. That, are you talking about like the toolboxy lands hybrid thing? No, it's it's actually so it's called affectionately it's called the Pokey Pile after the player who created the deck, uh, Pokemoki Two. And basically, what this is is a rug denial deck. That's that's what he calls it. It's got two mana threats, or sorry, well, first of all, all the threats twenty nineteen or better can't have it another way. So we've got uh -huh. Dreadhorde Arcanist, Icewind Quaddle, not so much a threat, but still twenty nineteen card that's pretty you know controlling. And then on the higher end of things, we've got. Narset, Oko, and Uro to end games. And Jeff has glued all of this stuff together with the card Stifle. And he's got he's got some logic here, which I know it's gonna it's it's gonna sound weird, but it, it makes sense once you start practicing and playing matches with the deck, which is that Stifle is just a way to sort of disrupt your opponent's mana development so that you can leverage the extra mana, you know, from your own land drops to play one of these 
2019 threats and and just win off the back of them, right? So like like you mentioned earlier, Dreadhorde Arcanist, it is the kind of card where when you untap with it, you just turn it sideways and the, the gas just never stops, right? You just draw so many cards that you'll find answers to whatever it is they're trying to do and you will be able to end the game. Same thing with Oko. If Oko goes unchecked, like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's a horde of elks is going to come after you. Um, Uro, Narset, they function the same way too. So it's kind of interesting. Like there's historically, like the card Stifle has been paired with lean, you know, Delver of Secrets, one mana threats, turn them sideways, end the game ASAP, and they're close their life total, right? But I, I think this is a really interesting concept that uh, Jeff has sort of like opened up for discussion, which is, yeah, you don't need to necessarily kill their life total when you could just draw 30 cards and kill them with whatever you draw. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if there's a yeah. precedent for this already, which is in Vintage, right? Blue Mirror Matches is just like, cast an Ancestral Recall. Does it resolve? Okay, now I'm going to keep drawing more cards while stopping you from drawing cards and win that way. And so I, I think it's kind of interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of happy that, like, this sort of innovation actually is able to happen in a format as, like, cutthroat as Legacy. So, yeah, props to props to Pokemoki for, for that. I, I actually like the sound of that a lot because I was never the hugest fan of Stifle in Delver decks because it really, really felt like you were <clears throat> like hinging on Stifle to just buy you just enough time to deal enough damage to the game's over because the game lasted any longer than you wanted it to. The Stifle was just going to cost you because it was, unless you set your back opponent, opponent back immeasurably, they were just always going to recover and you were down to Stifle because Stifle is one of your cards. Yeah, that is absolutely an excellent point, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I also think that Stifle, not so good in Delver. Delver is the kind of deck where you have to play super tight the entire time. You have to maximize every single edge that you can get, and only then will you cross the finish line with the win in your hand, right? Like, use all of your cards, but put them in a position where you can, like, top deck a lightning bolt for lethal, that kind of situation, right? Calculated. If you yeah. mess up one brainstorm, or if you, you know, miss one one draw step, like you you draw poorly, like it, you, it, it's it's crazy how like everything can crumble from there. And Stifle is one of those cards, which is, admittedly, it is a bit polarized, uh, where it it's really good in certain situations, but it can also scale poorly. This sort of deck that Pokemoki has created is able to leverage what I might assume is the actual intention for Stifle, which is to interact with like triggered abilities and activated abilities or like creatures, enchantments, planeswalkers, that sort of stuff. And it's really cool to see it in play. Yeah, I, I just like that approach more because you, you're you using Stifle as a tool to help you extend the game where these larger threats just take over. You you can set an Oko on the field and if you protect it, like if you set them back with their mana with Stifle or whatever you need to then Oko will just take over the game, or Narset stops them from doing things while getting you ahead. Like, all, all these cards just do the opposite of what Delver does. They just give you ways to play the game so much more. Yeah, he uh, calls it elegantly a ramp spell, almost, which is kind of an interesting perspective to... an interesting way to think about the card, so super cool. But, um, yeah, like, we were talking about Icefang earlier. One other card that I really like in these you know, just snow piles is Sylvan Library. Sylvan Library has always been one of the haymakers in the format. Just it, recently, it's seen a lot more play than before, and I think it's largely in part because of how much green has improved as a color in Legacy. Uh, but when you combine it with all the life gain that you get from Oko and yeah, Uro. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, you never have to stop. You can just keep paying four. Yeah, yeah, but... Yeah. 
pay eight, pay eight, brother. You got this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a huge boon to be able to just like play turn two Sylvan Library, untap, slam Uro. Okay, next turn buy back Uro. It's over. Like at that point, you've just drawn so many cards that, you know, I don't know. Most decks can't come come back from that, and that's actually kind of an interesting thing to just minorly point out is that life gain in Legacy was not really a thing. I think like maybe Stoneforge Mystic and Batterskull used to be it, and then it phased out, and now the new era of gaining life from like Uro and Oko is a thing. So it's kind of cool to see like just how much it matters to be able to gain like a couple extra points here or there, and then, you know, ride that to different games of Magic entirely. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Uh, before we go to the next deck, I'm going to just shout out my pocket pick. What I've been testing a lot lately is actually standard all-star shark typhoon i think that card is playable in legacy believe it or not six man enchantment no worries are you are you referring to standard pioneer modern and historic all-star shark typhoon yeah okay i think we're on the same page here um, <laughs> so it's good in legacy too whoa yeah uh these cards right i don't know shark typhoon for me is kind of just a way to adapt to the adaptations so like when uro and oko inserted themselves in the format they did take over. Players were actually able to find ways to beat it, whether it's like just by ignoring them or by attacking a player's graveyard so that Uro doesn't do as much, these sort of things. And I I personally like Shark Typhoon as a method to pivot um, and just like sidestep all of those plans, you know, just like bring another axis of attack into the game so that, you know, you can't just get caught with your pants on the ground kind of deal. It's been performing well for me. We'll see how it scales with time. Uh, but the other card that I also want to mention, and this is a card that I really wish nobody would sleep on, is Carpet of Flowers. I don't know what set this came out of, but it's expensive now, and for good reason, too. This card absolutely demolishes certain strategies, right? I was mentioning earlier how, like, one of the important things about Magic or Legacy is just to be able to play your cards. Carpet of Flowers not only stops them from making land, well, not stops them, but makes it discourages yeah exactly it punishes them for putting extra islands into play it also like boosts you too right so it's definitely like one of the like polarizing cards where you could play an uro from your graveyard as soon as like what turn well uro plus other spells yeah exactly it lets you cast as many cantrips as you as you have keep cycling through and then you can make the like like it, it absolutely I, I can see it turboing out Uro for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like that's one thing. And then against Delver too, right? Like imagine, like if you have extra mana, well, suddenly not only are you able to pay for their soft counters like Days and Spell Pierce, but also you get to protect your own expensive spells much earlier in the game with your one mana counters like Veil of Summer and Pyroblast and whatever it is. So there's a huge impact for this card. Again, like think about the format. Mana is... It defines everything, and I think this is just true for all of Magic the Gathering, if you think about it enough. Uh, Carpet of Flowers, really good for that reason. Yeah, I I am a huge Carpet of Flowers fan. I'm also a huge Shark Typhoon fan. I, I <laughs> In that deck that I mentioned earlier, like I started with four Hydro Crisis, three Shark Typhoons, and played two matches, and I was like, oh no, this is a four Shark Typhoon deck. Yeah. Like, it's it, the card is unreal yeah and then imagine these two cards paired together where you actually could play a shark typhoon as early as like turn three or something which is like <laughs> which is disgusting um i yeah. i even like even, to go back to carpet flowers real quick even with against the astrolabe decks that can play around not having islands somewhat the fact that you get to limit their access to actual mana when there's like blue mana like islands when there are so many one mana cantrips and restrictive costs like uro means that even if Carpet Flowers doesn't have an overt 
return, you're still getting something out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Like, I mean, like, look, if, if if you treat it as like another land in your hand, like if they have even one island, then it's probably done its job. After that, it just works overtime. And that alone is an incredible, like if you evaluate a card in terms of like how high the floor is, uh, you are going to get some equity out of it, which means that that value, I guess. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. The true draw go strategy in Legacy, though, just like over the course of over the over the course of the past, like I don't even know how long, has just been miracles. Uh, so if you have if you are familiar with the format, you remember how menacing like Sensei's Divining Top Counterbalance and Terminus uh, were when they were all paired together. Nowadays, uh, two of the three have sort of fallen off, scaled off. One got banned, so that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but miracles. I'm talking about the the deck that leverages uh, what is it? Avison Restored Terminus. And entreat the angel to to take over games, thanks to MTGO user Stefanogs, who has literally just like been playing this deck, and and for the majority of his you know legacy career, I think the deck is slowly coming back. He's had a number of stellar performances, and he has been piloting a Bant version of the deck. So historically, it has been blue, white, red, but now uh, given the Simic cards and how Wait, powerful can they I are, guess, can I guess why he's green? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'll, 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 it. I'll give you one shot, but be careful. There, there are... What you got? Uh-huh. Is it Oko, Uro, and Veil of Summer? Oh, do I even need to be on this podcast? It seems like you guys have <laughs> nailed it, basically. Yeah. Well, um, the answer to every question is Oko and Uro, so it's, it's like... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's exactly it, though. You're 100% correct. Um, Oko and Uro are the reasons to uh, splash green in this deck. Again, they're just super flexible. They have the ability to take over games by themselves. And it just goes to show like the impact of these new cards in, in the format. Albeit, unlike Snow, which you know does rely on uh, a larger number of Uros, or it's just part of their plan, this deck only plays one copy, but sometimes one is all you need to take over games. Uh, also, Icewing Coatl is... One of the more relevant cards in this deck, you know, it is very good at blocking creatures. It is very good at proccing the uh, the miracle mechanic. Uh, speaking of miracles, Terminus has just been historically the the reason to play this deck. If there are a lot of creatures in the format and you are looking for a cheap sweeper to clean the board, then then you get to play one of your uh, oomphy three mana planeswalkers to follow up on the same turn. This is it. This is the deck for you. Shout out to Mystic Sanctuary, by the way. This card has like done a lot of crazy stuff in in modern, and it also does a lot of crazy stuff in in this deck too. Which is, admittedly, like I don't really like this card too much. I feel like it it makes my mana just unplayable, even with Arkham's mm-hmm. Astrolabe. But there's no sweeter feeling than like your opponent like getting Terminus once, and then you're like, oh nice, I have a fetch land. If you play more creatures, I'm just gonna do it again, kind of deal, you know. And and miracles is an astrolabe deck, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, at the, least the three color version. Yeah, the current iteration. It's just too easy to put astrolabe into your deck to smooth out your draws. I mean, white white is still a real cost in a three color deck. Plus, worst case scenario, just elk it. You know. Yeah, I mean, it certainly makes your okos better. So, like, I think just to iterate on the like, Arkham's astrolabe is so powerful thing. The thing that it's allowing these decks to do that you could kind of never do before is. You can play whatever combination of answers and threats you want from, like, three colors and bank on having the mana to do stuff going late in the game, including, like, 
you know, Mystic Sanctuary requires you to have four lands in play to do the thing, which is kind of tough, but it's way easier when you are not getting wastelanded. And like these three color miracles decks often have like two dual lands in them because they're astrolabe decks. And uh, that is like one of the things that the the existence of Astrolabe opens up that would be impossible before is like playing four color spells in three color decks. You just couldn't. Or four mana spells in three color decks. Yeah, it, it's definitely tougher because of like Wasteland is just another pillar of the format, right? It really does keep a lot of things in check. And it some people are, you know, very interested in playing with this card. Some people not so much. I, you just have to respect it, no matter what you're doing, right? You have to respect the card Wasteland, which means there's another reason why basics are really good, right? You get to actually play Magic. Imagine getting Wastelanded twice, and then you have, like, two lands and play on turn four, and you're just like, well, all these expensive spells in my hand, I can't actually cast them. But, you mm -hmm. know, Arkham's Astrolabe incentivizes you to play more basics, which means you get to play more expensive spells, and also allows for some, like, crazy stuff with, like, Mystic Sanctuary. You know, you get to go, like, basic island, basic island, basic island, Mystic Sanctuary. Oh, but in the meantime, here's a Swords to Plowshares and a an Icewing Coatl and an Oko. Like you know, enjoy. It's it's it is <laughs> definitely one of the overperformers in the format. That makes sense. How do these? I mean, just to get an idea of positioning in general, like how good do you think the controlling decks are in the meta right now? How do they fare against? You know, we talked about the Delver decks as the the main other category. We talked about like which bucket sort of generally has the edge there. And, like, how interested are you in playing control decks generally in Legacy right now? Yeah, I've gone to the lab and back, and my agents have told me that it's exactly 52 point... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Not, they're, not, they're not bad by any means, right? There was a period of time, like, in recent, where these control decks weren't doing too hot. I think it's just a function of people having, like, really adapted to beat them, and... That's why, like, the sort of adaptations that I've, I'm talking about, like, with Shark Typhoon, I think it's actually, like, a big deal to be playing these cards, right? Because certain strategies will not care about a 1-1 that you flash into play. Like, they've got Karn and the Great Creator and Microsynth Lattice, and you're just like, okay, well, here's a 1-1. Like, no, that doesn't that doesn't cut it at all. Um, mm -hmm. But a card like Shark Typhoon, you put a big shark into play, you're super happy, and you get to attack. Okay. Uh, but I, I, in general, I think that this is sort of like a maybe uh, a prime time to be trying these control strategies in Legacy just because of the inclusion of all these like new cards that have been coming in. If we look at maybe the tempo matchup, and I think this is kind of important, like when I say Delver is the most played deck in the format, I I'm not kidding. You, Whenever you design your deck, you really do have to respect the Delver matchup in mind to the point where it's just like, you almost, like, the card Delver of Secrets and the card Days, Days especially, Days warps the format to the point where you have to be able to play through it and around it and like, Wasteland too, right? So so this deck really does have that in mind. Obviously, we're playing a bunch of basics. Obviously, we're playing a bunch of creature removal, right? Like, multiple copies of Swords to Plowshares, multiple copies of Icewing Quaddle, and obviously the best sweeper in, the, the most efficient sweeper in the format. We'll, we'll put it that way because it has its upsides and downsides. Hmm. Um... So in, in this sort of situation, I, I would say that it can keep toe-to-toe. -to -toe. There are strategies that are going to be good against these control decks. For example, the card Cloud Post, you can just go way above it. But in general, I think you've got enough tools and all the colors that you're playing to have a fair shot against everything. And that's also kind of the, the, kind of the thing that I was thinking about too, is like if you had to pair Delver versus these control strategies, it's actually close to even. I know a lot of the Delver players will say that they do struggle a little bit with the snow strategies um just mm -hmm. because you know you've got a lot of 
efficient removal and you've got a lot of game ending spells like Uro and Oko. Uh, but I, I personally think that, you know, like against the best Delver players, like they've they've figured out like the most optimal ways to come back. And I think it's actually close. I would say like on any given day it could range between fifty five to forty five percent. So it goes back and forth. It's very, very competitive. Sure. Yeah, and I like what you said about like, you know, every deck that anybody has ever built for legacy has the Delver matchup in mind, basically. And it's it's to such an extent that like I feel like a time honored tradition of legacy is the like completely unplayable deck that is good against Delver but never like can't ever beat anything else. And like people bring those decks to tournaments all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean like that's just like the nature, right? Like when you are quote one of the best decks, people will gun for you. But like the reason you are a best deck is not because you're playing the best cards or whatever, or that it is because your deck is just so like fluid and able to adapt and even when it comes across something that it's never seen before it it can cobble together the tools and the resources to overcome and win right that's one of the reasons why top miracles was so good was that you just had top countermounts the best cards you know like a very solid combination you were able to slow the game down to your pace and then take over with your your stock tools and delver nowadays is just able to do that as well except it also is fluid enough to be able to present a bunch of threats as well so you know on one hand you could be like hey Turn one Delver, turn two Delver, what you got? Or, you know, it could be something as slow as like, all right, I'm going to sit back with these three counter spells. All right, pass, pass. Dreadhorde Arcanist, mana open to cast my spells. You, you're not going to be able to answer this, and then I take over the game. So, mm-hmm. very incredible deck. Very, very incredible. I would definitely, like, look into playing with or against that deck and just getting an idea of how... You need to have a solid game plan. Otherwise, it's definitely going to be tricky. For sure. Can I ask about... Like, I get the conceptual difference between the two control decks we've talked about. Like, the... Like, Miracles, Drago, Control versus the Snoko. Essentially, Jund, play all my good spells deck. That's, like, pretty different philosophically. Do they... How do they match up against, like, the field? Like, what do you... do? You, are these decks... They're in the same bucket, the control bucket. But they feel what, like they're What would make you so choose different. one yeah. over the other? Is, is right. that what she... Okay. Yeah, so I would say... And this is a very good point, right? Like I, I imagine Snoko being more of like a tap-out control deck and then Miracles being more of a draw-go control deck. And while it does seem weird to play... I, I've never really been a fan of tap-out control. It just doesn't seem elegant in my mind. But the cards are just so good that like sometimes you, know, you just play with what you're dealt with regardless of the fact. I, I think it really boils down to uh, how it... For, as a control player... so. I didn't mention this earlier, but since 2014 till the day Top got banned, I played Miracles, and it, it was it was just my go-to, and I loved it. And even after that, I played it for like a year or two. I eventually put it down for Snow because of reasons, but uh, I, I think it's just a function of how well your answers line up to the threats of the format, right? So there was a period of time where Terminus was just not really that good because people were killing you with either like instant speed 2020s or non-creature spells like, you know, Sylvan Library or, you know, they were putting you in positions where like all of their creatures that you they put into play would replace themselves with value. And and now I kind of get the feeling that maybe Terminus is coming back in a really powerful way, right? Like this could just be a function of Delver and how Delver has adapted. I think, tar- so the original, okay, I'm just going to spew information and you stop me wherever, but <laughs> the evolution of these rug Delver decks is that they first added in Dreadhorde Arcanist as a four of. There are some weaknesses to Dreadhorde Arcanist, right? Like a one three isn't going to end the game by itself. That's a lot of attack steps. So 
to mitigate this, uh, you put in some heavy hitters like Tarmogoyf, and that is the card, that is the number one card that a control deck wants to see, because Tarmogoyf is basically, in, in from the control perspective, a do-nothing beater. Life total is a resource, I'm happy to expend it whenever I can. While you play your Tarmogoyf, I'm going to develop my hand, my mana base, and then finally, you know, maybe once I'm at like three life or four life, you know, right outside of lightning bolt range, I'm just going to handle it easy peasy. So, so I think that's one of the reasons why Miracles is coming back. I think the dominating presence of Rug Delver and the specific threat suite that they have enables a card like Terminus to overperform. But I also think it's like the extra versatility of cards like Uro and Oko that you know, just give it like another power level of power to to match everything else. Basically, like the whole legacy format got got upgraded a little bit, and this is one of the ways that miracles got upgraded. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's uh, starting to see more play. It's just like a response to the meta game. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's go to the next subset of decks because I think there's a lot. To, there's there's still a lot yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Um, for tribal, I wanted to cover briefly three decks. Those decks are Elves, Goblins, and Esper Vile, which is kind of an interesting one. So hmm. for anyone who is new to the format, Elves is a creature-based combo deck, which is not the norm. It is definitely like its own unique thing. Uh, there are... So the stock Elves de deck, the, the traditional version, is a Glimpse of Nature slash Natural Order deck that leverages the power of Gaia's Cradle to create lots of mana, and then you end up uh, converting all of your little weenie X1s into big creatures with Craterhoof Behemoth. Uh, it's also got some pretty grindy aspects in the form of Wirewood, Symbiote, and Elvish Visionary uh, to just sort of like have a robust mid-game that allows it to, you know, just at the... Yeah, just like grind through, I guess. Yeah, just draw a couple cards every turn. Wirewood, Symbiote, plus Elvish Visionary is incredibly disgusting over the course of multiple turns you get to draw so many cards and it's it's like a nice little plan b for for this kind of deck the other version of elves that i think has gained a lot of popularity uh in recent is called reclaimer elves and it's by mtgo user hello newton recently just did a channel fireball video with them and it's it's incredible I punted the five away. I know it sucks to <laughs> we timed out attacking for lethal, but this deck is different from the combo version in that it has well reduced some of the combo elements of it. So you know when I asked Newton, hey, why are you playing this deck? He's like, yeah, some cards like Nettle Sentinel and like Lanoir Elves and even like Heritage Druid sometimes they're not really like good cards by themselves. And I wanted to play a deck that you know has a more consistent game, has a higher floor at the cost of the lower ceiling. And so, you know, to fix this problem, he's added cards like Elvish Reclaimer and Once Upon a Time to give the deck a little bit more consistency and give the deck a little bit more, uh, just like oomph, I guess. Like, it can do different things. One of the other things that it's got, you can natural order for utility creatures, or cards like Archon of Valor's Reach, uh, which is pretty good in, like, some of your combo matchups. So you can sort of see how, like, the combo elves deck is kind of more all in on just like turn three dead you and then this reclaimer version is about drawing out games you know trading one for one maybe getting some advantage here with wirewood and elvish visionary and then you know eventually it can still like natural order for crater hoof behemoth and kill you anyways but it, it definitely does slow down the pace of the game and it's actually super super difficult to play but there are a lot of upsides to it for sure 
I think one of the real reasons that we've seen elves just like come back out of nowhere in recent is one of the jumpstart cards that got printed, Allosaur Shepherd, which is it's definitely like you could tell it's like a it's one of the newer cards because it's got a lot of text on it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, All the text. Yeah, exactly. And it just doesn't have any restrictions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it does almost everything that the deck needs or wants, except for maybe like drawing extra cards. But, you know, it, it is anti-control because you can counter stuff. Uh, also anti-chalice because you can't counter stuff. And then it's got a built-in crater hoof effect. And you can green sun zenith for it. You can tutor for it. So this card has, has just like added... A huge, it's just it's adding so much to the deck and I think a lot of people have played it like recently Reed Duke uh, did well in one of the events playing four copies of the card just to showcase what it is capable of and uh, I think it's it's uh, definitely something to look forward to I will tell you this though this is not a deck that you can approach without practice uh, literally <laughs> Magic Legend PVDDR said the same thing and you can trust him before you trust me but we're on the same page on this one. It's super complicated. Get your reps in if you're going to play it this weekend. Makes sense. All right, um, I'm going to ask a dumb question because I haven't seen this Reclaimer version of the Legacy deck. Uh, this and you, you said you cut Heritage Druid and Nettle Sentinel like the all-in combo cards. Does this Reclaimer deck still play Glimpse of Nature just to as a low-ball fuel-up card? So, yeah, I should have clarified. It has cut Nettle Sentinel entirely, but it is only shaved on uh, Heritage Druids. It's like three copies. And instead of the Mana Dorks, it's actually playing Birch Lore Rangers, which, generally speaking, wasn't played too much in the combo version because you just, you're better off with, like, Heritage Druid plus Nettle Sentinel. But Birch Lore Ranger is, like, a bit more standalone. Again, this is the same concept, right? Where, like, it doesn't provide as much mana as something like a Heritage Druid, but it does... Uh, provide consistency just in the sense that like it doesn't require as much synergy in the deck to to perform right heritage druid you need three elves if one of those goes away heritage druid is basically a dud whereas uh if if the birch lore ranger like if you kill a random elf the birch lore ranger can still tap other elves to generate mana so it's it's that concept of like higher floor lower ceiling and to answer your question you still do play glimpse because you have that density of uh one mana green creatures yeah Okay, yeah, cool. I, I wasn't sure because I didn't like cutting Heritage Druid and the Netmill Sentinel just felt like it, it would have been a lot, a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. Generate. yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, uh, but the next, um, oh, yeah, what's up? Oh, I just wanted to mention uh, Allosaurus Shepherd. The only drawback of this card, which by the way, you should not play in Historic, that Elves deck is horrendous, and I keep seeing it, and it's completely <laughs> unplayable. The only drawback of Allosaurus Shepherd is that it turns your elves into dinosaurs and from a flavor standpoint that does not mean they are riding the dinosaurs because traditionally cards that include creatures riding animals are the creature type of the rider and not the animal if you look at mantis well, they, rider not they gain insect. dinosaur as an additional type right but that's not how these cards work if you look at allosaurus rider that's an elf it's not a dinosaur so he's not giving these elves dinosaurs to ride he is turning them into dinosaurs so just you know keep that in mind whenever you're activating it exactly what you're doing to your boys in play <laughs> yeah that's a good point just in case allosaurus shepherd ever is in contention for being banned i'm gonna remember this reason as like what are the number one reasons <laughs> to go for it it was the flavor reason yeah. uh, come on wizards 
Um, All right, sorry. Go. That was that was some nonsense. But go ahead. No, I like it. This is what I'm talking about. This is these are the (laughs) things that I didn't know. So, for example, like I I have played Legacy for six seven years, and literally last week I learned that Wirewood Symbiote can untap opponent creatures. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I didn't know that until just now. Yeah, exactly. Which is good against like Phantasmal Image and uh, I think like Eternal Scourge. So there's actually like practicality behind it. But yeah, the things you learn, right? So yeah. But yeah, goblins. Let's talk about goblins. If you're feeling red and you know you're feeling kind of gremlin-y, this is this is the archetype for you. Uh, historically, goblins is your the first tribal deck today that we'll talk about that plays the card Aethervile. Aethervile is really really good in these creature-centric decks because it allows you to generate just oodles and noodles of mana for free. Uh, and again. Talking about this, mana is the the core of the format. You'll see how it applies here, right? So, goblins um, in in Legacy shares a lot of elements uh, of goblins in other formats. You have Aethervile as your primary card, but then you've also got some of the most powerful cards in the for, uh, most powerful goblins in the format in the form of Goblin Lackey. One mana, put a goblin into play if it deals combat damage to a player, and then you've got Goblin Matron, Goblin Ringleader. Uh, recently, people have added Muxus, the Goblin Grandee, into their deck, into their legacy decks, and it has been just incredible seeing it perform. Uh, we're going to go into that a little bit more, but I just want to point out that you know the traditional Goblins deck also does typically splash black for cards like Munitions Expert and Siege Gang Lieutenant, uh, which are, I think those are also 2019 cards, right? Yeah, they're both from Modern Horizons. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And those those two cards definitely gave the deck a huge boost. Um, a, by giving it answers to problematic cards like, you know, just like creatures in general. Munitions Expert can also go after Planeswalkers, which is kind of a big deal. Siege Gang Lieutenant, just it just ends games out of nowhere. Uh, the amount of damage that it represents is crazy, especially when you combine it with something like Pashalic Mons. And then obviously, like, when you add a new color, you can splash for, like, sideboard options in in uh, in your deck, too. Like, like Engineer? Uh, some people have done it. <laughs> I, I've talked to uh, other people in the in the Goblin Tribe. They say that you know we're not allowed to touch this card because of what it's done to us. And yeah, play, it's the play honor game. rule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess we should just like take a quick segue. Uh, we need to talk about Tribal in in the world of Plague Engineer. It is super super frustrating to have all your X ones just invalidated by this 2019 card. If you are playing Tribal, please respect. The card plague engineer it is extremely good against you and your deck needs to have answers to it right so a couple of ways to do this elvish reclaimer a one two it survives and you can tutor up cards like cabal pit yeah you can tutor up cards like cabal pit um goblins has crater maker in the main deck multiple copies uh you can tutor that up and you can answer plague engineers uh we can go into probably the newest iteration of goblins which is yeah, it's like a stretch. I don't. I don't. It's 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 different, right? And this is the Turbo Muxus variant of the deck. So if you like like just like haymaker spells and like chaotic games of magic where like anything can happen in the first two turns, this might be the deck for you. Yeah. <laughs> this deck. It was during Gen Con, and Caleb Durward was streaming, and he was like, "You know what? Let's just put a bunch of these goblins into play, and let's also get some Muxuses in because Muxus at the time was like almost a hundred tickets." And it was super hard to uh, to get access to them. And mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, so he's like, <laughs> let's just get uh, turn one goblin lackey, turn two muxes. He's also got copies of War and Instigator, which is like a double striking goblin lackey. Yeah, not really playable unless your payoff is so huge that it's worth putting in your deck. It, it's you got to have muxes for that to really be the thing that you want to be doing. I feel like exactly. Goblin lackey is a terrifying card, but it definitely has had like ups and downs. Like the card Deathrite Shaman literally lo- ruined Goblin lackey's career for a while. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's kind of interesting to see like Lackey get its time in the, in the spotlight now. Uh, but anyways, so this was like a a deck with the goal of getting a Muxus into play as fast as turn two. You can go. It's got like ancient tombs and Chrome Muxes, and it's just trying to accelerate out a mm. lot of power and toughness into play. Muxus also is just like a r- ridiculous card by itself. Like even so, first of all, like you get to look at six cards and you get to put the creatures into play, right? But even if you don't, in a format like Legacy, just having a 4-4 that can attack for maybe like 7 points of damage if you have a couple other weenies in play is is still ridiculous. And I guess that's true for all formats, but... Right, but in, in Legacy, nothing... Like, it's rare that it gets challenged on the battlefield in a meaningful way. Yeah. Like, like that body is just immense if, it's, if it stays in play. Right, exactly. Legacy is a format where, like, all the cheap cards, like, they see a lot of play because by virtue of being cheap, but, you know, when you don't invest mana into something, then the cards also just have, like, low combat stats. And so, like, here, suddenly you've got, like, boom, 4-4 four, four into, like, a 10-10. Like, it's, 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 it's a pretty interesting dynamic to add. But speaking of dynamics to add, this deck actually transitioned from being, like, Turbo Turbo Lux, uh, Muxus into Turbo Muxus with a splash of uh, Prison involved. So XJ Cloud, who uh, has played a lot of goblins, but is most... Oh, you just put some chalices in there because you got so many accelerants. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Is that, is that exactly. what's going on here? Yeah. Okay. So XJ I'm Cloud down. took the uh, Skirk Prospectors, cut them because he was like, this is not a good standalone card. And it was just like, boom, Chalice of the Void. And then, like, <laughs> yeah, Sideboard Blood Moons, the whole shebang. Um, it's a pretty interesting deck. If you like Explosive Magic, definitely check it out. I mean, obviously, like, you are playing more 1-1s, so you might run into some issues with uh, cards like Plague Engineer, but sometimes you just go under the card. Like, if they have a turn 3 Plague Engineer on the draw, what's that going to do against uh, 30 points of power coming at you, you know, on turn 2, so... Or, or 3, rather, so... Well, it'll be blocking it, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. And then dying <laughs> and along with your life total as well, so... The last tribal deck that I want to talk about is probably the most interesting one because this is not your this is not your stock kind of tribe tribal deck there, there's no actual tribe that unites these cards together except for maybe like it's like a shard almost that joins it it's called esper vial right and this is a an esper based esper creature creature based deck that leverages aether vial alongside recruiter of the guard uh, to generate you know just like utilities slash value slash prison synergies um you combine recruit of the guard with soul herder cards like charming prince uh to to just you know get more creatures into play and choke your opponent into positions where they can't do anything and then you win the game from there right so it's got Mm -hmm. four copies of main deck meddling mage which we've seen in other formats like modern for example also four copies of baleful strix which is really good if your opponent is trying to, you know, tempo you out with Delver of Secrets and kill you. And it's 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 really interesting to see how this deck has evolved over time. Basically, shout out to Jeff Lynn for pioneering the strategy and, and you know, really sticking with it. He's got a lot of interesting cards in, in the deck. So when I say this is like a 
tribal deck, I mean, you have to really look at how the creatures interact with each other. So, for example, like Soul Herder plus Recruiter is a really good way to sort of just keep the gas going. You've also got Charming Prince with copies of Gilded Drake in the sideboard for creature matchups. So, just to clarify on this interaction, let's say you uh, play a Gilded Drake on turn two, right? You swap your Gilded Drake for your opponent's creature, uh, let's say like a Delver of Secrets or a Dreadhorde Arcanist or maybe even a Gristlebrand, and then you play <laughs> Charming Prince and the cool thing about Charming Prince is that it doesn't actually say blink a creature you control. It says a creature that you own. And you still own that Gilded Drake. So you just get it right back um, and take another one of their creatures uh, you know, for, for, for mad value. So those are the kind of synergies that I'm talking about, right? We've also yeah, that's to the Battlefield yeah. Tribal. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> some of the other Esper color haymakers that you can play are baron the the new card the tolarian archmage that one's pretty cool you've got peacekeeper for any decks like maybe game one against sneak and show or game one against elves uh just lock them out entirely you haven't really lived until you've assembled venser shaper savant a vial on four with caracas and soul herder which the deck can do it's all a little bit slow, but bouncing two of your opponent's permanents every turn so that they never get to play the game is just an, a ridiculous end game. Um, and then <laughs> other well, well, that's this is like a you say it's slow, but this deck is kind of engineered to keep playing the game forever. Yes, hundred percent. So it it can just get there pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah, like you just go meddling mage on lightning bolt, okay, or meddling mage on some sort of like problematic card now i get to play uh, now i bought myself a couple extra turns okay well now there's a recruiter of the guard which might get another meddling image or some other way to like generate value and extend the game or like even like baleful strix like you put it in the way of a creature like your life total is padded for a little bit like you, you've you've actually just nailed the okay i don't know this phrase it's like the the horse on the head or something like that uh, whatever it is you get what i'm saying the tail on the donkey <laughs> there we go yeah that sounds right um so yeah <laughs> It's uh, definitely a powerful deck, and I think I, I had the opportunity to play it uh, a little bit, and my gut reaction to the deck was it definitely has probably a, a very, very disgusting endgame where you're just doing so many like tricks and shenanigans with your creatures and your your vials and your soul herders and your this and your that. There's a cost. I think your curve is a little bit high, so sometimes this deck may lean on Aether Vial a little bit harder than other tribal decks but then again like these other tribal decks like goblins for example you've got ringleaders and you've got muxuses so you've got you, you do like rely on vile no matter what uh my personal thought other people might disagree but you know that that is what it is so yeah that's that yeah. that's it that wraps up the legacy format three subsets no i'm just kidding no no there, <laughs> there's a lot of legacy and i know we're like an hour into the cast already so just you tell me when to shut up and then i will stop vomiting all this information um, can I, we we can, can I, keep going for a little bit, for sure. Okay, yeah. Can I can I ask about a, a tribal deck that I don't know very much about? Sure, yeah. I know it won't, it, it's the Ninjas deck. I know it won a challenge like a, a little bit ago. Oh, what do you think about that? That's a really good point. Actually, I think the Ninjas deck is pretty exciting. Before Oko was printed, I think it had some problems just because it it wasn't it was kind of lackluster. But this is the deck that goes to like turn one Ornithopter and Changeling Outcast turn two put a Yuriko into play and like it would they would they have cards like Gurmag Angler to like deal damage but also present scary threats. Now the new trendy thing is uh, Retrofitter Foundry plus Oko. Mm -hmm. Retrofitter Foundry is an <laughs> incredible card. Let me tell you, um, it is really strong. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It doesn't Part look is real. It doesn't look like it on paper, but as soon as you convert your ornithopter into a four four construct, you you've like sort of like lived another like you've just it's it's incredible. But also like it's a standalone card that synergizes really well with your ninjas, right? You can make a servo, bounce that, and then you know attack with a ninja. Or like if you just have a lot of mana in the late game, start like tapping and untapping and making and unmaking and like just it's 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 very very powerful. All for the cost of one mana too. And you can also change the the changelings into four fours as well. Yeah, exactly. Because changeling is just like a really sweet mechanic or creature type, or whatever it is. And then when you add Oko into the mix, like every turn you can like make a servo, make it an elk, and then yada yada yada. It's 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 pretty powerful, and I and I definitely don't think you should sleep on it. Do not disrespect that deck. I played against it the other day, and I almost got completely crushed by it. Uh, I just got a little lucky, and I think you, sometimes you might need that in order to to stabilize and win, but. Yeah, let, let's get into combo because I, I feel like this is the f final, like, primary sure. pillar of the format. And right now, I think there are three major decks that are, three major combo decks that are seeing play. So the first is Doomsday, which is kind of a cool deck, actually. It sees play in Vintage 2, uh, and it's it's exactly what it is. It's, it's a combo deck that is based off the namesake card, Doomsday, which is all about resolving... A three mana spell, making some weird pile that plays around everything, and then resolving Thassa's Oracle to win the game. So this is a deck that also got buffed by 2019, and and you might be wondering, is like this literally the reason why this deck is seeing play? And yes, that is it. Thassa's Oracle is so much better, <laughs> yeah, than Lab Maniac that it's uh, revived this archetype. So, for example, well, it's. it's it's Lab Maniac that says when it enters the battlefield, you win the game instead of when you draw a card. You yeah, win the game. It's, exactly. Yeah. And, and hopefully they don't have lightning bolt up and you don't have a way to stop it because then you just lose the game instead. Right. Right. Like, huge gap between the two. Yeah. I mean, like it doesn't suck for its removal. It's two mana. Again, we'll, we'll talk about like that. That's the, another mantra that, that I'm trying to just impart upon anyone who's listening today. Um, and like, like worst case scenario, like you draw it. Okay. You play it. And then it's like a one three that at least scryed you two, which does have some value in, when you're playing a, a combo deck that cares about selection and things like that, right? So, yeah, let me just give you an example of a pile here. Um, so you, you know, you go turn one, like, Dark Ritual, Doomsday, play a Lotus Petal, and you, you choose five cards. So five of the cards you could choose are, like, Predict, Edge of Autumn, Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, and Thassa's Oracle, what you do here is that you you do need a cantrip and the same turn you play doomsday to win so you'd like brainstorm you'd put back two cards but keep edge of autumn and lion's eye diamond play the edge of autumn uh sorry play the lion's eye diamond then cast the edge of autumn with priority crack your led you've got three mana i think that's right yes then you draw predict okay cool predict away something draw two cards then you play lotus petal then you play thassa's oracle and then you win the game because you've got no cards in your deck so it's like it's there's a lot of piles and there's a lot of ways to get creative this deck admittedly like because doomsday does like extra life total in half could struggle against the card lightning bolt um it's a to be wary about this deck but it is super fun to play and i would definitely recommend giving it a shot if you want to just experience like the range that legacy has to offer yeah and just to i and i this is more and less true depending on the specifics but generally in legacy the wheel is sort of like if there are combo decks around then delver decks are the blue decks that are better positioned 
And if there are fewer combo decks around, then you can play slower blue decks that have more controlling elements uh, because you don't necessarily need to be put in that clock on the combo decks to, to really get an edge in the matchup. So the, the combo deck, I mean, in, in turn, the combo decks sort of either have developed very specific plans against Delver or wait until Delver is a little bit less prevalent uh, to to poke their heads out into the sunlight. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, combo decks, if you give them infinite time, they will find a way to beat whatever it is that you have. They are literally designed to do that. So if you just, you, you got to close the door on the decks sometime soon. And this is universal in all formats. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next combo deck that I want to talk about is one that is also pretty interesting to me. It is called the Epic Storm, not the Lame Storm. I don't have a joke here. Whatever. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, but this the Epic Storm is a Tendrils of Agony slash Grapeshot deck that you know uses artifacts and rituals to generate a massive storm count. So when I say artifacts, I'm talking about Wishclaw Talisman, which is kind of like a demonic tutor effect. You've got Mox Opals, Chrome Moxin, Lotus Petals, and then for the Rituals, you're playing like Dark Ritual and Rite of Flame. Uh, the sister deck to the Epic Storm is Ad Nauseum Tendrils, which instead of Rite of Flame and, and Artifact Mana plays cards like Cabal Ritual and Past in Flames to buy back your Rituals. Um, but now that deck has some issues with Veil of Summer, but not, not too many issues, but some issues. This deck, though, is all about beating Veil of Summer and playing Veil of Summer. So some of the key cards in this deck, it does play four copies of Veil of Summer, which is incredible in the blue matchups. You just start your turn with the Veil of Summer. If your opponent does not force it, they are potentially dead. Um, the, does it wait? Are these main deck veils of summer? I don't know the the composition. Yeah. So I. Oh yeah. Four <laughs> main deck veil of summers. This this is how good this card is in 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 Legacy, where you get to just like invalidate so many so many decks by just you know. All right, nice force of will. I'm just gonna play veil. Oh, you have an answer to this. All right, well here's another veil. Right, you have you just keep him to Tarokking your opponent, or you just blow them out. Plus veil like works overtime in this deck because it stops Thoughtseize, which is very important, and it also stops abrupt decay. A huge play pattern in this deck is where you just like put out a Wishclaw Talisman, and like if your opponent moves to abrupt decay, you just veil, or if they move to Elkit with an Oko, you just veil, and you get to draw a card too. So it's like really good. <laughs> But one of the ways that this, like, the core engine of this deck, like, what is the purpose of Wishclaw Talisman? What is the purpose of Mox Opal? It is to combine or be brought together, I guess, with the card Ad Nauseam. So the Ad Nauseam deck in modern, you know, you usually go, what, like, Angel's Grace or, like, Phyrexian Unlife, and then you draw, like, a ridiculous amount of cards. Here, yeah. you don't necessarily... You just don't need that. Yeah. Because your cards are so cheap. Exactly, right. Like, Mox Opal, zero. Wishclaw Talisman 2, and that, that's kind of on the more expensive side. But, like, you get, you still get to draw, like, you know, 15 cards or something like that off one Ad Nauseam. And, like, while there is a fail rate, you still, you, generally speaking, like, you will draw enough cards to win the game on the spot, like, between your zeros and ones. And it's extremely powerful. Also, the card Burning Wish does give the deck a little bit of utility. You have access to, like, a toolbox in the sideboard at all times, which means that you're not necessarily naked to any one certain card, right? Like, Chalice of the Void, no problem. I'll just tutor up a Pulverize or, you know... Hmm. Uh, what else is there? You can play like a variety of things to, to, to search for. On the last note, I think the most recent card that got added to this deck was Peer Into the Abyss, which is just, if you haven't played with Peer Into the Abyss, you gotta. There's something about paying like five or whatever, however much life to draw 30 cards or 25 cards or whatever. It's an incredible feeling. 
that, that card's pay half your life, draw half your deck, right? Exactly, yeah. And there's a rounded up in there, so I, I don't know how that works. I'll never learn how that works. But yeah, this, this it is an incredibly fun card to play, and it slots right into the deck. So, so you, I never thought I would hear that about a seven mana source. It slots right into the deck. Yeah, it's the I, perfect I, I, card for this deck. I, well, the whole idea is to just generate a bunch of mana and then hopefully you're not low enough so that ad nauseum kills you. Because mm-hmm. if you draw 15 or 10 cards of ad nauseum, you're just going to win. Yeah. Pierre, you can't die off it and you draw more cards. So it's perfect. <laughs> it's 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 like a the bigger brother that I always wanted, but I don't know. Yeah. It's the cooler, Daniel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the final combo deck that I want to talk about is uh, Show and Tell. And Show and Tell is, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, you put the Show and Tell on the stack. If it resolves, you put in an incredible permanent, usually between Gristlebrand, Emrakul, or Omniscience. And then you use those cards to win the game. Sometimes well, The Omniscience deck usually is... I mean, so, I don't know if they've become a little more merged over time, but generally, there's you've got your sneak and show, and then you've got your omnitel, and the omnitel is less is not necessarily red and is more focused on you know put put omniscience into play, cast emrakul or whatever, and and is not as doesn't doesn't necessarily have the the secondary plans with uh, sneak attack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right here. There are a couple like flavors uh, for for these show and tells decks. So you've got blue red, which will generally splash red for sneak attack, and then you've got blue green, which will go all in on show and tell into omniscience, leveraging the power of Veil of Summer. I think Veil of Summer gives gave that archetype like a a, a fresh breath of air. But it's 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 weird. The presence of of Rug Delver like the it has just made this deck hard to play so i think the 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 point that i was trying to get earlier was that like the number one undisputed best sneak and show player in the world is jonathan angelescu aka jpa93 literally just like the the saying his the his magic online handle out loud to some people will just like make them like stop in fear he's that good (laughs) um blessed with just the power to draw whatever it is that he wants off the top of his deck online too so like you know it's real he isn't playing Delver right now. Uh, sorry, he isn't playing Sneak and Show right now because I think of Rug Delver and, you know, just like the dynamic between the deck. Uh, Delver, typically not the best matchup for Sneak and Show, but he did have a parting gift before he swapped archetypes real quick, uh, which is he created a version that was designed to fight against the Delver Menace and it did leverage the power of Simeon Spirit Guide for faster mana and then also uh, days for, you know, just like cheaper counter magic. Just bring the... Drop the... Uh, average cmc down a notch so that you can play more spells faster that makes sense there is one problem one big problem with the deck which is that one of your plans like your ideal situation is not casting show and tell and putting an emrakul into play like that never has been the goal it's just been sort of a backup but like that simply doesn't work if your opponent has Oko in their hand. Yeah. So, like, one of your ways to win the game just, like, doesn't exist anymore if they drew a specific threat in their deck. Yep, that's that's a really uh, astute observation. Before, it used to be scary things like, okay, maybe they have the one of Caracas in their deck or, like, a Knight of the Reliquary that can tutor it up. No, now it's, like, this card that almost every deck is playing, it's going to come down, and if it doesn't, like... like it, I don't know, maybe you get lucky that way, but it, it's you still have to sweat bullets 
at all stages of the game, like you have to hope that your turn two Shrontel doesn't allow your opponent to ramp uh, by putting in a land into play, and then like they get to untap and play like an Oko or something like that. So, like, yep. spot on. Yeah. Yeah, and it just. I, I was watching. I was watching Sandwich actually play Omnitel, and bo- like he definitely like won. Like, he probably won more than he lost, but boy, it just looked like a miserable deck to play. Like he just like <laughs> ca- try to get your get to your mana, try to cast your spell, and not get encountered or counter back, and that's that's it. And it just it just didn't look like fun Magic the Gathering to me. Yeah, personally, not my style, but it is definitely a craft, and to get good at the craft, you've practiced it. Veil of Summer does give you that boost that you're looking for, right? It, it Veil of Summer is probably one of the few reasons to actually continue playing that deck, if anything. There are holes to every combo deck, Delver being one of them. Uh, fast Clock, a lot of disruption, so yeah, definitely see what you're saying. Yep. Yep. And Veil does protect your 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 thing from being O-Code, too, so that is, that's something as well. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. Um, but yeah, that that's it for the primary pillars. Ancient Tomb, I, I'm not going to get into too much because a, I, I, I just, I, I just do not vibe with that card. That card ethically <laughs> does not, you know, resonate with me. <laughs> but also with like Uro and Oko in the format and Tarmogoyf, Ancient Tomb hasn't really been doing as well. Um, if you're interested in playing an Ancient Tomb combo S strategy, you should definitely check out the Echo Stompy deck, which is like a Narset plus Lion's Eye Diamond plus Echo Vion's deck that also has like Karn and. <laughs> Just uh, it, it's it's a lot. It's lots. It's super cool. But uh, yeah, uh, that's that's what I would say is are the big ticket items to be on the lookout for this weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. If you are playing any of these decks, good luck. If you have any questions for these decks, I'm definitely open to answer anything for sure. Do you do you have like uh, two decks you would consider playing? You don't have to tell what you're playing. Oh, like you're I, two front runners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I'll be open about this this weekend. I am definitely going to be playing uh, Snoko Five Color Snoko. It is, I like I mentioned, I had played Miracles forever and ever ever, and I feel like this is the 2020 version of that deck. It just does so many things. It has answers to everything. It has a very resilient threat package, and I just want to play with Shark Typhoon. I'll tell you that. Much. I'll <laughs> put it out there. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, I would be I would be super silly not to just add, tell you to play Rug Deliver, but like, if you're going to play Rug Deliver, you, you got to be tight. You got to know the ins and outs. This is not a deck that anyone can just. Well, I mean, like obviously you get some free wins, but at the highest level, it is every single edge counts. You, you have to win seventy percent or more, or or play a lot more of your matches to qualify for this manager's event. So I would not recommend picking up a deck for the first time in this field. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's probably true. I I will say that I am a solidly mid-tier Delver player at best, but every time that I'm trying to, you know, figure out some stuff for Legacy, anything clever that I do, or even just playing other decks, like... I, I just feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle, and then every time I switch back to whatever the good Delver deck is, I'm like, oh, okay, now we're playing Legacy. <laughs> and then I win way more. So there's something about playing Days in Wasteland that just, like, works yeah. all the time. Mana efficiency, I'm telling you, like, the deck is just optimized to, like, bring you down to its level where you have, like, one or two lands in play, and then it beats you. Like, it's it's a <laughs> tried, and, tried and true for sure, so... Well, if people do want to reach you to ask you questions about Legacy or simply to watch some of your content, what are the best ways for them to do that? Where are you at on the internet? Yeah, uh, twitch.tv slash onzmtg is where you can find me. Uh, 
live every day. I'll be live tomorrow and the day after. Uh, I've got YouTube content on Channel Fireball. You should check that out. There's some really, really educational material on there. I have the series where I played against, played with some of the best players of each respective archetype. Uh, so if you are interested in learning about like elves, TES, or anything like that, check it out. And then if you have any questions for me, otherwise, when I'm offline, feel free to tweet tweet at me also at unzidmtg, A-N-Z-I-D-M-T-G. Cool. Um, if you want to find us online, you can find the podcast uh, at mtggrindcast.com. If you want to lend us some support, you can go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We are about to start recording our, you know, bonus patron-only episodes that will be on, you know, specific sort of, you know, they're going to be our MTG Grind class episodes. So you <laughs> want to level up a little bit. Um, and then probably... LSV and BK are going to be a week behind every time and do an episode on exactly the topic that we do. That was that was pretty funny. That I was... mean, you didn't know we uh, last week we did a, an episode on how to be control. Oh yeah. And today LSV and BK published their podcast, Constructed Resources. Same exact topic. Wow. <laughs> Look at that trend setting. That's what I'm talking about. Well done. Oh yeah. Um, we try. But... We try. Yeah. I mean. Honestly, like perfect result. Get get the people talking about it, and you know, probably don't register a control deck in any upcoming tournament because everybody knows how to beat it now. <laughs> wow, harsh words from someone who's definitely playing Snoke this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, honestly, a lot of our lessons apply significantly less once you get to the legacy format with <laughs> three true. spells and shit. We didn't talk about playing around Force of Will, so. <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to find us online, I'm tweeting at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. Um, yeah, and that's really it for us. We really, really appreciate y'all's time. Hopefully this was helpful. We definitely could not have brought you as good, nearly as good of an intro to, you know, what's going on in Legacy. So, Anurag, we really, really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, of course. Really appreciate it. I think that's it for us. Uh, Thanks so much. All right. Bye, everyone.